0: What's that? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. All right. That was Jim Mora many, many years ago. Former Colts, Indianapolis Colts coach. And you might think you're listening to the wrong podcast, but this is with flying colors, Mark Treichel with... Last week in credit unions today, a new thing I'm doing here on the podcast, but my goal is to do these weekly, to record them Saturday on what happened the week before, but I got myself involved in watching my favorite football team, the Minnesota Vikings, and they got down, if you're a football fan, you know what I'm saying, but they got down 33 to nothing, and they had the biggest comeback in NFL history and ended up going into overtime, winning 39 to 36. They won by three. They tied it up with some amazing plays by some of their amazing offensive players. And basically, it delayed this, delayed this recording a day. And again, Jim Mora came up because this morning, my wife and I were chatting about the game. And she asked if I saw what the coach of the Colts said. And my response was to that. I don't know what he said, but I need to show you what Jim Morris said when the same team the Colts lost many, many years ago. And she started laughing, saying that's what she saw floating around Twitter. So that's the world we live in today with news that flies around and memes that get reused. I do a little bit of that on LinkedIn, if you've seen me there. But anyway, I'm a big Vikings fan, and I could not turn that game off even though they were getting their rear ends kicked and I was getting texts from family members and friends. We were, it was the woe is me. They were getting their heads handed to them. And I had several friends and family who turned the game off, missed it. And I I have a hard time doing that. I was, I started working, doing some things, writing a contract for a new, a new client while that second half was going on, but I could not turn it off. And then it turned out to be an amazing, amazing game. All right. That's enough football. And now I wanna chat a little bit about this week in credit unions. And it was quite an interesting one with lots of news. And part of that was the NCUA board meeting. I went over to the NCUA board meeting and attended. On Thursday, their agenda had three items. I'm gonna go into these a little bit, but I will have a separate podcast on one of the board actions. But there were three board actions The first item on the agenda was the net operating level, which is the insurance fund. When they make reference to the net operating level, that's what level is their target um, operating level for the insurance fund. There was no change to it. They left it at 1.33%. And the short version of what that means for credit unions is you're not getting a premium and you are not getting a dividend. So, So that's good. You know, I think there's there's a little bit too much made about that operating level. They have to say about above 1.30. And, you know, I think it makes sense what they did there. And I don't want to go into much more about that. There was the NCUA budget. And during the budget, they indicated that they had made some changes. They had taken some um, FTEs, full-time equivalent positions out of the budget. They reduced the overall increase of the budget in dollars from eight some percent to six some percent all of which is good. They made the point that that's less than inflation, which is also good. It's coming off a of two years, very low budget increases. So all in all, I think it's eminently reasonable budget. And you could tell that the, the board members did some horse trading, if you will, on this, and that probably a little bit more than, than normally happens during the budget process. And again, I, as executive director, the budget was my Super Bowl every year, pretty much, as we were setting out plans for the upcoming years. So it's it's one of my favorite uh, events that they have intimately involved in it, but I could just tell by the way that this played out that, again, the board, uh, all three of them it, it had some interest and it seems like they found a, a, a happy spot on that. The other item was, it was titled a proposed rule to amend the NCUA's rules relating to loan participations and eligible obligations. And the the document itself, the Board Action Memorandum, stated the proposed rule would amend NCUA's rules regarding the purchase of loan participations and the purchase, sale, and pledge of eligible obligations and other loans, including notes of liquidating credit unions. The proposed rule is intended to clarify the NCUA's current regulation and provide additional flexibility for federally insured credit unions to make use of advanced technologies and opportunities offered by the financial technology sector or FinTech. The proposal would also make conforming amendments to the NCUA's rules regarding loans to members and lines of credits to members by adding new provisions regarding indirect lending arrangements, and indirect leasing arrangements. Finally, the proposal would make other conforming changes and technical amendments in other sections of the NCUA's regulation. So I've had full podcasts on loan participations and eligible obligations. That's been a growing area. I had Steve Farr of my team on that podcast. I've asked Steve to look at the 100-page proposed rule, and I will be doing one of two things in the future, either a separate podcast that's just me, or I might have one where Steve comes on, depending on on what makes the most sense on this topic. It seems that the meat of this regulation, having attended what was said in the board meeting, which is going to be, which I will pull out of the actual regulation for a podcast and talk through um, was there's, there's the concept of originating lender. And if a credit union wasn't an originating lender, it can cause some havoc relative to eligible obligations or, or loan participations and they are essentially proposing that a fintech company that originates a loan would if if the first purchaser was a credit union that the credit union could count as being the originating lender which that which would then allow them to participate those loans out And as long as that's done in a safe and sound manner, manner, NCUA is going to be comfortable with it. And I believe they're also proposing uh, to reduce, to go more principle-based. So there's a limit in the eligible obligations on 5% of unimpaired capital and surplus is how much you can do. Um, They're going to be eliminating or or contemplating eliminating those bright lines and making it principle-based based based on the risk that the credit union is willing to take. But they also pointed out that the examiners are going to be able to use safety and soundness as a reason to tell a credit union that they may, maybe need to pull back. So they're clarifying what the examiners can and can't do, but they're going to put more of the ability to structure your program in a safe and sound manner. So I'm excited about that. I'm going to do a separate podcast on it once I have a chance to read through the 100 pages, once I have a chance to talk to Steve Farr about what he thinks about those 100 pages. And we actually may submit a comment letter on this one. But all in all, I think it's gonna be very positive for credit unions who buy or sell loans. And it takes advantage of the fintech world where a lot of loans are being originated. And if credit unions can't participate that in that um, appropriately, so it could leave credit unions behind in the wake of both fintech and banks. So I think it's a smart, smart move. But I have not read the 100 pages details. I'm basing this on the things that were said at the board table. Okay, and next up in the news, on December 16th, in the Regulation and Compliance Section of American Banker, NCUA Board Chairman Todd Harper wrote a very thoughtful letter explaining his position as the agency chair relative to have NCUA getting third-party vendor authority. And, you know, they, it's very thoughtfully done. I know the traded groups are not going to agree with this and credit unions might not agree with it. And there's parts of it that, that, you know, I'd be careful about wanting to get all this authority, but I can't really argue with a word of what Todd says here. And because of that, I think it's important enough to just kind of walk through this. So Chairman Todd Harper in a letter to American bankers, said, industry cheerleaders and trade associations Representing federally insured credit unions have traditionally touted them as a better choice over banks because they serve a specific community, offer members access to financial products and services at better rates, and operate as member owned not for profits. What they don't say, however, is that a bank customer has greater levels of protection than a credit union member when it comes to cybersecurity and consumer financial protection. That's because the agency I lead, I being Todd Harper, Chairman Harper, the National Credit Union Administration, which regulates, supervises, and ensures our nation's credit union system lost its temporary authority over credit union vendors and service providers that Congress provided in response to the the potential for Y2K disruptions nearly a generation ago. Wow, I was involved in that a generation ago. Time flies, man. With that statutory expiration, the NCUA lacks the same authority that all other federal banking regulators have to oversee and examine the vendors that depository institutions use for critical services, like information technology, loan underwriting, payments and mortgage originations, for example. As a result, the credit union system is vulnerable to exploitation by the cyber criminals, terrorist financiers, broadsters, and other lawbreakers who threaten our nation's economy, economic security, and the financial well-being of our citizens. Many others share my concerns. The risks posed by NCUA's lack of vendor authority have been cited repeatedly by the Government Accountability Office, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, and the NCUA's Office of Inspector General. Former NCUA chairman from both political parties have urged Congress to close this growing regulatory blind spot as well. Despite the volumes of calls from diverse sources including some credit unions themselves, the industry has resisted the NCUA's effort to gain the same abilities that our banking counterparts have. Critical critics claim that the NCUA has the authority to review vendors operations or utilize the reports and findings of other federal regulators like the FDIC or OCC. The the part of that argument is only half right. The first part of that argument is only half right. And the second part of the statement is a myth. First, the NCUA may only review credit union third-party vendors with their permission. And often, vendors decline these requests. Even if they allow our examiners to do what they are trained to do, the NCUA has zero enforcement authority. This lack of enforcement tool has real-world implications for our financial system and consumers. For example, suppose the NCUA gets permission to examine a vendor that provides loans to members and finds the vendor fails to comply with the consumer financial protection laws and regulations that prevent discrimination in lending. In this instance, the NCUA has no authority to stop these practices and hold the vendor accountable. That vendor can ignore our findings and continue to discriminate. That's unacceptable. Second, it's disingenuous to claim that the NCUA can simply use the findings of other banking regulators. The NCUA's access to exam reports on vendors is restricted because we lack parity with the banking agencies. Also, NCUA examiners can only participate in vendor examinations with the banking agencies if we get express approval from the vendor. While the credit union industry argues that giving the NCUA authority and oversight over its vendor amounts to over-regulation, they are avoiding a painful reality. The the NCUA's lack of vendor authority puts credit unions at a competitive disadvantage. Why? Because the banking agencies complete an examination of a vendor, they share those findings, findings with the vendor's bank clients. But that sharing of information only applies to products offered to banks. Credit unions, especially small ones, don't have the same ability to access information about their vendors, even if they offer the same services to both banks and credit unions. This fact prevents credit unions from knowing the potential risks that vendors pose to their members operations, safety and soundness, and reputations. The lack of vendor authority also prevents the NCUA and other regulators from seeing the breadth of potential threats to our economy and financial system, providing our nation's adversaries an easily exploitable vulnerability. As credit unions outsource more and more services to third party, now is the time to close this growing regulatory blind spot in our financial and regulatory system. The U.S. House of Financial Services Committee approved a bill to provide the NCUA with third-party vendor authority, and that measure was later added to the House-approved 2023 National Defense Authorization Act. In the Senate, Senators John Ossoff, Cynthia Loomis, and Mark Warner have introduced Section 4698, the Improving Cybersecurity of Credit Unions Act, to restore the NCUA's third party vendor examination authority. In the rush to wrap up the 117th Congress, lawmakers should not squander this chance to better protect consumers, insulate credit unions from bad actors, and strengthen the defenses of our entire financial system. Restoring NCUA's authority over credit union service providers and vendors will give credit union members the same level of protection that bank customers currently enjoy. If this legislation fails to be approved, thousands of credit unions, 134 million credit union members, and more than $2.1 trillion of assets will continue to be exposed to unnecessary and potentially devastating risks. Why are we waiting? All right, that's Chairman Todd Harper, former PACA director at NCUA, former colleague of mine at NCUA. I think that is brilliantly written from the perspective of why NCUA should have this authority. It points out all the other regulatory agencies that have it, all the other regulatory agencies that say that NCUA should have it. And uh, you can arg- argue whether or not this will get done, but it's a very compelling argument why NCUA should have the same authorities that all other Banking regulators have, and without repeating, you know what I just read through, it does put credit unions in, in some ways at a, at a disadvantage. Now, the other side of this would be that it could it would lead to an original an initial regulatory burden. I believe NCUA would have to add staff if they picked up this authority. At least they would have to add staff if they were going to get the authority and actually do it right, which they strive to do. And I know Todd would strive to do. So they get this authority. I think there's budget a budget impact at NCUA. That being said, I also know that NCUA, dollar for dollar and size for size, spends less time in credit unions than banks do. So there could be some wiggle room there. Should they get this authority and should they then expand their budget and their training of their staffs on this topic. Uh, The the challenge will be if they get the authority, they don't want to be flat-footed and be kind of like the dog that catches the ice cream truck. Because if the dog catches the ice cream truck, what's the dog going to do when it catches the ice cream truck? So NCUA is going to have to have a plan at that point in time. I'm certain that Todd and the team of executives at NCUA would. But the other flip side of this is since they don't have this authority, it's important for NCUA, whether or not they get the authority, to point out that they don't have the authority. Why? Because if something does blow up, NCUA can say, we told you we needed this authority. So it positions NCUA well to point out that credit unions are lacking in this ability to have this information, that NCUA is lacking in having the ability to regulate in this way. And on a on a related article that came out this week is NAFQ came out with their letter to Congress and the House on what their priorities are for this year. And in it, the first item on on their letter is that NAFQ opposes efforts to expand NCUA vendor authority. So you, in what I shared with you from Chairman Harper, he references the trade associations, and here's what the trade association said: It's much. It's much shorter than what I just previously went through, but I think it's important to kind of contrast it to hear the other side. So it states that NAFQ's, NAFQ strongly opposes any effort, such as Section 4698, the Improving Cybersecurity of Credit Unions Act, et cetera, that would expand NCUA examination authority over the credit union third-party vendors. NAFQ and our member credit unions believe that cybersecurity, including the security of vendors that credit unions do business with, is an important issue. However, we are opposed to granting additional authority to the NCUA to examine third parties at this time. NAFQ believes in a strong NCUA, but we also believe that the NCUA should stay focused on where its expertise lies, regulating credit unions. Credit unions fund the NCUA budget. Implementing such a new authority to the NCUA would require significant expenditures by the agency. I agree with that, by the way, that's Mark, Mark's editorial comment. The history of the NCUA's budget growth has shown that these costs would ultimately be borne by credit unions and their members. Agree with that, but I don't think uh, NCUA is afraid of that happening in the budget, but I understand why he's pointing out that they are concerned. There are tools already in place for the NCUA to get access to information about vendors. We believe the agency's time and resources are better focused on reducing regulatory burden by coordinating efforts among the financial regulators. The NCUA sits on the FFIEC with the with the FDIC, the OCC, and the Federal Reserve. The FFIEC was created to coordinate examination findings and approach in the same in the name of consistency and to avoid duplication. This means that as a member of the FFIEC, the NCUA should be able to request the re- results of an exam of a core processor from the other regulators and not have to send another exam team from NCUA into the processors business and duplicate an exam. If the NCUA did its own examination, the likelihood of finding anything the other regulators did not would be close to nil. Instead of granting the NCUA vendor exam authority, Congress should encourage the agency to use the FFIEC and gain access to the information of examination and findings on companies that have already been examined by other regulators. If that option is not available for the NCUA due to the decisions of the FFIEC regulators, Congress should consider compelling the other regulators to share the information with NCUA. This would seem to be much more preferable route than raising costs on credit unions and there are 134 million members for the creation of a duplicative NCUA program. Supervisory reports for the core providers will likely have significant cross applicability. According to the NCUA, approximately five core process, processor vendors control approximately 85% of the credit union data. Use of existing reports for other technology service providers would also address the NCUA concerns without creating additional costs to credit unions or increasing regulatory burdens on credit unions and small businesses. As such, we urge Congress to oppose granting this new authority to NCUA. So those are the two sides. You know, where it stands right now, NCUA can piggyback off the other regulators. They can piggyback off many state regulators if it's a state chartered credit union where NCUA can participate, or if it's a vendor that has state chartered credit unions and also federal credit unions. So there is a middle ground where NCUA has had to operate here on this. I do believe it is a bit of a blind spot, but if NCUA is going to do it, it, it will lead to a substantial increase in the budget. And, you know, they're having, just like everybody else is with um, the, the great resignation and the challenges of finding talented people, it would have further exacerbate that right now. But I also fully understand why Chairman Harper and NCUA need to ask for this. And I also understand why, if credit unions don't want this to happen, why NAFQ has to push back and do and they did so eloquently as well. So, you know, we'll see where this lands. As long as I'm on that letter, the other highlights for NAFQ, NAFQ opposes efforts to expand interchange price caps. I may do something on that in a separate podcast down the road. NAFQ supports passage of the Bipartisan Safe Banking Act. I would agree with that. That deals with the... Marijuana businesses and allowing for safety in that regard, I believe that is probably not going to pass from the other things I've read. NAFCU supports improvements to the central liquidity facility. Glad to see they agree with NCUA on that. I do as well. NAFCU urges the Senate to act on the bipartisan credit union board monetization act, which would reduce the outdated requirement that credit union boards of directors hold monthly meetings to instead require no fewer than six meetings per year. The new standard would only apply to credit unions in strong financial condition, protecting the safety and soundness of the financial system, and would allow those credit unions to devote more resources towards serving their members. Uh, You know, I like the monthly meetings, and I understand why going to every other month might make some sense. I'm certain that NCUA would prefer to see this as monthly meetings. NCUA, especially in large credit unions... Is really hitting hard on governance. You know, if you get into the Office of National Exam and Supervisions, they're very zealous on, on, on board governance, and that has trickled down to the billion dollar club, the five hundred million dollar club, and below. So, um, governance and strong governance, I think NCUA would argue, requires monthly board meetings, and and I would I would tend to agree with that. So, we'll see where that lands. And NAFCU supports greater transparency from the CDFI fund. And I I think that's wise as well. NAFCU has heard from many credit unions, uh, both current and those seeking certification about problems with the CDFI fund. Credit unions have lost CDFI certification without warning or a cure period to rectify issues. Applications for CDFI certification have faced significant delays and the CDFI fund has not engaged in clear communication about changes to certification criteria. CDFIs provide vital support to underserved communities, and we encourage Congress to examine these issues and press the CDFI fund to address these concerns and work more closely with functional regulators, including the NCUA to reduce burdens on CDFI-certified institutions. I would agree with that. You know, Underserved communities, if a credit union is, can demonstrate that that's what they're here to do. And if if there's any way for them to keep those authorities that come with being a CDFI, I would err on the side of credit unions being able to keep that certification and to stay in that program because the greater good is it helps people of small means and the underserved, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Before we wrap here, I have a couple more articles I wanted to refer to. I covered that one. ESIP. All right. So this hasn't got a whole lot of coverage, but if you are a low-income designated credit union and a CDFI, the, the Department of Treasury is coming out with an, a second wave of the ESIP program. Second round of the ESIP program, the U.S. Department of Treasury announces that it has opened a second application round for investments in qualified financial institutions through the ESIP. The ECIP anticipates that between approximately $160 million and $340 million will be available for investment in the second round. Treasury will prioritize applicants that were ineligible to apply in the first round of funding but later became eligible, or serve geographies that are relatively underserved by recipients in the first round of funding, and show a strong track record demonstrating the capacity to execute the lending plan, including the quality of the data provided in the application related to lending to low moderate income or minority individuals. Among prioritized applicants, Treasury intends to allocate funding to institutions that are assessed to have a higher capacity to execute its ESIP emergency investment lending plan and are more responsive to community needs as determined using the factors outlined in the application and lending plan evaluation form. All right. It was pointed out to me by Olden Lane that this second round was out there. They're at the pulse of a lot of things that happen in sub-debt and at the pulse of of, of what went on in the ESIP program. And, and many of their clients were some of the biggest players in that market. And this is a good thing. And while it's not a, a ton of money, if you are a credit union out there that is now eligible, but weren't, wasn't previously, you should consider this. It's 30-year money that starts as free money and then goes to some very, very low rates that, and it's a really good source of funds that you should give some consideration to. Again, if you're eligible, check it out. What else do we have here? I think there was an NCUA conservatorship of a Richmond City credit union, a small credit union. When I looked at their FPR, looks like their loan losses went through the roof, which could have been, you know, just delinquency took off. It could have been that that there was problems in the records and in, in, in hiding of delinquency. I'm not exactly sure what led to it, but NCUA only conserves a handful of credit unions a year. And if they do so, you know, they're they're definitely doing it to reduce the loss to the insurance fund. So stay tuned to see what, how that one resolves. And I am looking, Oh, Sam Bankman Freed was arrested under FTX. I've got some previous podcasts where I discussed my thoughts on that, but he is now behind bars. I think he's still in the Bahamas. At least he was when I, when I first heard about it earlier this week. And I'm going to close with article from see on Zell. And community banks and credit unions could discontinue offering instant payment apps like Zelle if required to reimburse consumers who are victimized by scams. According to NAFQ and the Independent Bankers of America, there was also an article in the Wall Street Journal. So according to a report on Zelle's owning banks plan to shift would planning the plans, the shift would reverse the network's current policy, which typically sticks customers with the losses on any Zelle transactions that customer members physically initiated themselves, even if they were tricked into sending their cash to a scammer. Now, in another podcast that I listened to, I, I heard that there are Reddit groups where, where where scammers go to report which credit unions and banks easily cave to getting duped on the $500. I think there's a $500 limit that, that they're saying that if that, um, if that threshold is is where the loss is there that there are institutions out there that that um, kind of err on the side of their own member, but there's some scams going on out there tied to that. And you know, this is also, with all the FinTech going on, I, why I believe NCUA added electronic payment system specialists to their budget. Last year, by the way, I haven't really gone into the budget, which I, I will be digging into a little bit more, but I have a, a past podcast on that and essentially, they didn't change much, but they are adding specialists. Uh, they are adding Bank Secrecy Act specialists, and they are adding consumer compliance specialists within each region, which will continue to raise the bar in that arena. They're adding some more fair lending examiners to the central office, which means the number of fair lending exams will go up. So you can set, you can, uh, you can expect a a more robust BSA presence. You can expect more consumer compliance down the road. You can expect more just more fair lending exams as well so but that ties to this article on zelle uh, because last year they added the regional electronic payment systems because NCUA doesn't know what it doesn't know relative to all this growth in fintech so while they want credit unions to be able to participate in that they also want the resources uh, to be able to examine for that and i you know net net i think that's fair if you're going to get these authorities NCUA should have experts on board so that they can understand what the risk might be to the insurance fund. Because again, the insurance fund is yours. All right. That's it. That's a wrap. Mark Trichel and go Vikings. Amazing game there. All right. That's it. This is Mark Trichel. It's a wrap. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you'll be back again soon. This is last week in credit unions today.